agrees, she hears, your lifestyle, it's a personal choice, can't really do much about it, can you now? <laughs> oh, are you doing the Herbert the Pirate voice again? Genius. Genius, yeah, that has never definitely been heard before on this podcast. You <laughs> sexy page. Hi, hello, this is, you are now looped into the world of BAM. Yeah, and I know that my <laughs> mouth movement is a bit weird when I do this voice. I'm your host, Maya, and this is by all means necessary. As a next Halloween costume, I will be dressed as Herbert the Pervert from Family Guy. We are going to make that show popular again. You see the problem with Herbert the Pervert? <laughs> yeah, well, luckily for you, I will not stick to this voice for the next hour. <laughs> you see, the problem with Herbert the Pervert is that it only works with the words with an S. Sexy pants, smart ish. You know, it only works with like the words with S. The other words aren't as uh, as fabulous. That's why he uses the word. That's why Seth MacFarlane or whatever his name is makes the world sexy come out of Herbert the Pervert's mouth a lot. Yeah, hi. Yes, yeah, so this is what only is necessary if nobody understood that. I am your host, Maya, and if you're watching on YouTube, you get this joke. It doesn't even taste nice. <laughs> We also, back home in Serbia, have this rapper whose name is Corona. And, I mean, he chose that rapper name before Corona. <laughs> Imagine if he chose it just because of COVID. He was like, no, I'm brave. <laughs> and he came out with an interview telling us all, telling the world or whoever would listen, because he's not like that famous, says the girl with like five subscribers. <laughs> So he told the world how he will not be changing his rapper name due to the current pandemic. No, he is brave enough to, to stay to stick to his name, even though the pandemic is changing the world. So, hey, I, I thought you wanted that unnecessary piece of information. Beyond that, I just wanted to check in because this week I'm technically going to be doing the lazy thing where I will play for you a YouTube video from last meals that I have done about a week ago. And that is for multiple reasons. One of the reasons is that this case is mad and has to be told and shared on as many channels as humanly possible because it's wild. It includes voodoo magic, it has a Latin lover, it has a woman that just was obsessed with her weight and didn't realize that her weight is not the problem, her personality is the problem, like her whole life. Legitness. It has children and she does weird things with those children. Feel sorry for the children, <laughs> to be honest. So yeah, that, that's me just spoiling it completely for you, straight away, the whole episode. But another reason why I'm not fully committing to the research for this Monday is that instead of a mini-sode, I'm going to bring you a full flex episode. It's, it's an insane one. <laughs> and it has its own category. Like, it doesn't belong as the last episode of the month. It doesn't fit in with, like, the theme of the month. It just, it has never been... It's a crime that has never been committed. I do not understand why it has committed. So, of course, I need to like dig into it because this podcast has definitely been created for that particular reason. If there has ever been a by all means necessary, it's coming at you this Friday. So, stick around. If you haven't subscribed yet, <laughs> fucking subscribe because you've got two crazy cases this week. It's a crazy month. Also, I wanted to check in because this is now getting to the level of content that I'm being exposed to that I'm actually considering Doing a full mini-sode, let me know in the comments or just DM me if you think like this would actually make for a good mini-sode. That is TikTok 
and true crime. Obviously, there is a viral case of TikTokers who have discovered like a body in a suitcase through this like geocaching. It's called geocaching games, kind of like the Pokemon Go, where they go and like discover different treasures and stuff like as part of the game. And well, they have exposed that to TikTok. I think that was kind of removed, but obviously it different true crime YouTubers and stuff have, have covered this case. Then there is obviously the case of Sarah Turney, who I kind of, I loved it, she, what she has done, but I hate that she had to go to that stage to do this for her sister, Alisa Turney, and that she had to turn to YouTube because she already had podcasts, she already interviewed on so many cases, just because the police didn't sort of believe her before this, that one of her family members is involved in the disappearance of her sister, and that has just, the trace has just gone cold, till again, she made people aware and she just persisted at it until an arrest has been made this year in 2020. And then finally, the one that I have actually discovered this week through my favorite murder podcast, and that's of this survivor, Kara Robinson Chamberlain, who is also sort of answering the FAQs, the most popular questions, like the questions that the media asked her before. And she's answering them all on YouTube, as well as like documenting her fitness journey, giving advice on like for females running in public. It is quite literally everything from like what she has done to cope later, how it made her go and actually work with the police force, to her basically giving advice of how to speak to survivors, what to say, what not to say. The one that I have watched today came as a reply to one of her comments, and that was, what did she think about the ends? Kara's case, in short, was when she was 15 or 16 years of age, she has been kidnapped by this guy. He put, like, a gun to her head, put her in some plastic container in her car, kidnapped her, took her to the flat where he, like, raped her for the night, but she managed to escape. She managed to get out of the handcuffs. She remembered different things from the room. She was just, like, she's a true crime freaking fanatic there was ever one. She she is a fucker, yes. <laughs> and you really need to change the name of the fans for this podcast. Really need to do it. So she remembered all of the details and then when she finally got through the door and legged it and went to the police, the police at first actually didn't believe her, thought that she was a runaway. She again addresses this in the videos. And obviously when they went to the flat, he was already gone. But she remembered in the flat that they had like this comb or this brush with like long red hair. And then they spoke to like the building manager. And the building manager was like, oh, yeah, but this is the actual flat in the building complex. And this is the guy. And then once the police actually caught up to him, he committed suicide. The nicest way to say that. So people obviously ask her like, what does she think about him actually committing suicide? multitasking but I saw this question come up this morning and I realized that I don't think I've ever answered it in a video I know I've answered it in comments but I can't remember so how did I feel when my captor committed suicide well initially I was 16 right so I was pretty angry that he wasn't going to have his day in court because I wanted him to sit across from me in a courtroom and know that choosing me was his biggest mistake but since then, I've realized that it really is the best thing that could have happened because not only did I not have to go through the three-ring circus that can be a court trial sometimes um, and divulging all the details of what happened, I don't have to ever have to worry about him getting out of jail. I have several friends whose captors are up for parole or out, and it's heart-wrenching to watch, and I just feel very lucky that that's not something I have to deal with. 
she sort of to some degree preferred that than actually going through trials than going through parole hearings putting her young self back then as well just after this happened and her whole family and then obviously after like x amount of years again going through this over and over again so she said like she made peace with it which i found super interesting because usually people like the victims their families survivors wants to see that person rot behind bars also from perspective of journalists podcasters like people covering the cases usually when we cover this kind of case we would say that this person has chickened out they were a coward that they didn't want to serve the prison sentence they wouldn't didn't want to own up to what they have done and lived with their own guilt they chose the easy way out and this completely changed my whole perspective on it because i completely understand what she's saying and there have obviously been multiple cases where I have covered where survivors are obviously just going again and again for parole hearings. They're like, what if he gets out? Like, my life is again in danger. Why am I going through this again? All of the emotions, all of the trauma, all of the PTSD. So I really wanted to just like strike up a conversation in the comments or just in general. What do you think about this? And should actually podcasters kind of look to change their opinion and take this into consideration as well? when covering these cases because I find this to be so mind-blowing and I will obviously now take it into consideration when I cover these cases and when somebody just commits suicide doesn't want to end up in prison and serve the sentence I'm like but do we actually ask and why don't we ask the survivors in these cases and their families how do they feel about this so I feel like there is a whole gap there where TikTok might be actually the platform where we fill that gap in or we actually get the answers from the victims, from survivors that we might not have had all the way up until now. Only then when doing research, you have that as an option as well. Now enough of a freaking ramble. Let me give you the intro and then play that YouTube clip that is recorded on a different microphone. So it's going to be a different sound. You're going to love it. Listen, <laughs> what did I put as an intro? Let's do it. Let's do the weird thing. Yeah. <clears throat> Marta Beck's need for love and Ray Fernandez's common what? <laughs> and Ray Fernandez's conman background will turn out to be a perfect match for a couple that plan to swindle women out of their wealth by all means necessary. This is a story of lonely hearts killers. <laughs> do it i'm never ready never ready never ready who's never ready Now, give me my. <laughs> now, um, now, my, give me, give me the memory lane thing. The, the, the find the filter page. I, I know you have no editing skills, but find the filter. Give me that 
memory and then play the YouTube video within the memory as if like I'm reminiscing like do it find the skills I'm not not eating today there are plenty of prisoners that refuse to eat their last meals and to those people I say what the actual fuck so yes I will most definitely cover those as well but today I'm structuring it a bit differently I'm first gonna tell you about the person on the death row then we're gonna have a more interactive experience we're actually gonna go get the last meal and then I will consume it and I will just chit chat about the case and what happened after that last meal has been consumed but yes if if you still feel lost here this is the segment i do on fridays and it's called last meals and it truly embellishes your weekend so me homegirl have no skills can't do like makeup and tell you about true crime can't really do jenga and knit for you so what i do instead i can eat i realize that from a very young age for survival purposes and then for joyous purposes. So I use this segment to eat somebody's last meal. They have usually done a bad deed that landed them on a death row. Sometimes they cheat, sometimes they just serve the life sentence. But usually they have done a bad deed or a couple of bad deeds and this is what landed them on this segment. I don't just eat their last meal, this is not just ASMR content. I tell you a story about the people behind them. This time I'm telling you a story about two people, but in particular focusing on one. This is one of those murderous duos, and you might have heard about this if you are into true crime, but like me, possibly a lot of you don't know all of the details, and boy, the details are scandalous. Especially for the time, but even during this research I was like, yo, these two were on some next level thing. This case has everything. Today I'm talking to you about Martha Beck, who was one part of the duo of Lonely Hearts killers, Martha Beck and Ray Fernandez. We're focusing on the girl here. Girlfriend, we have a lot of information on her. A lot on Ray as well, but not, not as much, so let's dive in. The two scammers going around killing women through these Lonely Hearts ads that were popular in 1940s, 50s, and just getting away with it, robbing them, scamming them, and then living lavishly. But there is a darker background to both of these individuals. Beginning with Marta, she was born in 1919 in Florida, and a lot of her childhood is actually heavily speculated from the trial. So from the information that was passed on the trial, those speculations were that Martha was actually raped by her brother once she was young and when she told her mother, her mother told her that she is lying, she didn't believe her and she beat the shit out of her, basically. And ever since then, her mother would mock her. Like if Martha was to ever like a boy or anything, her mom would kind of like question her about it and mock her about it and just tell her like she will never ever have the opportunity to even date this guy which kind of turned up to be true because from the early days she had a glandular condition which basically made her overweight. So even at the age of 10 she was quite big and tall, her boobs were quite big, she just didn't fit in. As you can imagine the kids were cruel and the jokes have started and Martha basically had no friends of her own age. Obviously even after school the problems continued because for the time it was super important unfortunately and I know how sexist this is but for a woman to be skinny slash hot again for the standards of the time in order to find a job. So obviously Marta really struggled with this and she couldn't find a job 
as a nurse, which is what she studied. So instead, she became the undertaker's assistant. And I think this is truly where the fascination with death comes into play, because she would kind of prepare female bodies for the burial, and she didn't really mind it. She still wanted to be a nurse, but she didn't really mind that job. But then, due to all of these struggles to find a job, she was like, okay, listen, fresh leaf, fresh page, I'm gonna move to California, try to find a job. And she moved to California to work as the army nurse. This is when, I would say, the line began. The extreme line, if you wish, because she gets pregnant, and she apparently didn't know who the father was, or did know, but the dad didn't want anything to do with that. That's not super clear, but she started lying, and she actually sent a telegram, remember those, to herself, as apparently as if it was from the dad of the kid, saying that they have died in the war. Because at the time, you know, the cities were small, everybody mourned this with Martha, and they saw her go into hysterics. They're like, oh my god, now I'm gonna be a single mom, you know, I need all the help that I need, and you don't pity from these people. And I think this is when she started getting off on the fact that people actually cared, despite of her looks, despite of who she was as a person, people actually cared and pitied her and wanted to help her, and she realized, like, hey, this might be the way forward. Then, soon after her daughter was born, she meets this bus driver um, called Alfred Beck. Soon enough, she is pregnant with a second child, so this guy is like, okay, cool, let's marry you, whatever. <laughs> Nothing is known about this guy. It's like, we have his name and the fact that he was married to her for about six months. So they get married, divorced in six months, she gives birth to a son this time. Now she is in a situation where she is a single mother of the two children. So luckily for her, she results finding a job at the Pensacola Hospital for children this time. So now she has a job, and you're like, okay, cool. She's finally moving on, we're gonna bring those kids up, everything is gonna turn out great. Of course not. Nobody wins in these cases. Because she turned to illusions, fantasy novels, those romance novels or those type of movies with the main character of the movies, Charles Boyer. He was apparently the, the hunk of the day. She was just fantasizing that one day a great man is gonna come around and turn her life around and save her. So yeah, she just completely didn't live in the reality, didn't really care much about the fact that she does have two kids and maybe the focus should be on that. Nope. And why I say that is because usually in these cases every single thing I take as a red flag, right? So I was like, oh, this might be like the angel of death situation. By the way, if you're not listening to Dr. Death's second season, please listen to it. I need to discuss it with somebody. That case triggers me because I have like family members that have died of cancer. But that case, just the season one was great. This one, after every episode, I need to like have a, a meditation session, okay? That's how much like that fucking whole case triggers me. So yes, I will probably cover it one day. But basically, where I was going with this is that when I heard Martha got the job at the hospital, I was like, oh my god, not the kids, it's hospital for the children, this is gonna turn sideways real soon. But it didn't, because Martha was actually really great as a nurse. So she was really good at her job, and her co-workers really loved her. She was actually promoted to, like, superintendent nurse or whatever it's called, like, just a year after working there. And she was really happy with that part of her life, obviously, just then having money to bring up the kids. However, she still just yearned for, like, the Prince Charming to come along. So her colleagues, one day as a prank that she didn't appreciate later at all, but as a prank, she finds in the email the invitation to submit the ad for these Lonely Hearts ads. And she's like, 
mean, I might as well. She probably thought, like, you know what, fuck it, like, what's the worst that can happen, you know? It might, everything, it might realize all of the Prince Charming dreams that she had from these novels and movies that she was just binging on. She places the ad in Mother Dineen's Family Club for Lonely Hearts. That was the section in the newspapers. And then every day she would come from work because back then, you know, obviously, for you to respond to that ad, you would need to respond to it via mail. So she would check the mailbox and blah, oh, yet another day. Why she thought she would get a response pretty quickly is because she left out her weight that at the time, we just know so much about her weight. This research kind of like pissed me off on so many levels, even though she was the criminal here. But yeah, at the time she weighed about 250 pounds. So she left that out. Again, if you see the pictures of Martha Beck, like, she was not even obese, but I guess this was fat at the time. But what I find more concerning is that she left the fact that she has two kids out of that ten. I was like, that's a pretty important thing for a man to accept if you're looking for, like, a long-term relationship. But, you know, again, <laughs> what do I know? It's not like those kids are going to become an important factor really soon. On one of those days, all the stars have a line for Martha. She comes back from work, she opens that mailbox, and she sees a goddamn letter. She can't believe it. She's like, whoa, who the hell is this? And there is this guy called Raymond Fernandez that has responded to her letter. He was, at the time, five years older than her. He has served in Spain Merchant Marine. He's from Spain himself. But immediately up front, the way he has responded to the ad and described himself wasn't really super honest, you could say. He, you know, sent a picture of himself on which he had, like, a really fake bad-looking toupee because he was kind of half-bald and half-balding. He also forgot to mention that he had an injury and during that war that kind of damaged his frontal lobe, which is the lobe that highly affects your ability to deduce things, so it affects logics and learning. And that, that, again, might not result in him being the most reasonable man, making the most reasonable decisions. Of course, he also forgot to tell her that before Martha, he definitely posted multiple ads through this Lonely Hearts Club thing. And he managed to scam other girls, other women, of their jewelry, of their money, of their possessions. But Martha was swept away. She immediately sent a picture of herself back. Of course, she chose to send a picture with herself, with multiple girls around her. This is like a bad Tinder profile picture. You know, when you were on Tinder and then you would swipe and every single picture of, like, however many they could choose was them with a group of friends. And I'm like, which one are you? Like, why do you do this? I understand you're ugly. But why do you do this? So Marta literally sent a picture. It was just her head poking from, like, the back of that picture with the multiple nurses. She's like, this doesn't do me justice. But luckily for Marta, Ray will not give two fucks about her body because he only cared for her body. And now when Marta did send him the picture of herself and, you know, they were just about to meet up, she was super excited. But even before they met up, Fernandez explained to her that he believes he has superpowers, technically. What would be your favorite superpower? I was leaning more towards invisibility when I was younger, but now I think more like teleportation, just, you know, transferring yourself straight up to another place would be sick. Yeah, COVID changed everything. Cool. Ray here 
thought that he had, and he deeply believed this, again, he smashed his head, it's fine, he deeply believed that he had superpowers where he would use voodoo magic to get himself a, a bird chick, <laughs> to get himself a woman, and for that voodoo magic practice he needed a strand of Martha's hair. Martha, of course, was like, yeah, cut it all, like, she probably sent him, like, a full-on envelope just with her hair, she, he was like, I really just needed like a strand, like I don't want you bold, like I'm bold for both of us. But sure, she did send him this. And he was like, cool, now with this piece of hair and whatever magic I'm doing, I can convert Marta as well as the other women into my sexual slaves because I have so much power over women. His actual, actual words that I have read during this research, I'm not making this shit up, I cannot make this shit up. So he was to use this lock of hair to strengthen his power over them, and to strengthen his supernatural control that he definitely possessed. And he would tell his friends that he... Straight face. He would tell his friends that he, due to this voodoo magic, due to him being able to do all of this, his supernatural control, you heard it, he even managed to have sexual relations with women from greater distance. This man was on to something future, man 2020 isn't there yet, but Ray Fernandez, our man, was. Obviously, you know, they would send a hair, he would now be deeply connected to the women, and would be deeply connected inside of them, and that's how it all works, right? Yeah, nobody told this guy biology, no, nobody told anybody anything to these people. No, but of course. Super plausible. You believe it, right? <laughs> Long-distance relationships. How many things would have Ray Fernandez solved if he actually just committed to maybe developing the method of doing this? What would the method of doing this be, Maya? <laughs> How do we advance to this level? Cool, moving on. They finally meet. And Ray didn't care, or like he didn't show that he cared about Martha's weight, about her biggest problem ever, because she could only talk about that. She was obsessed with how she looked. And of course, from the early days of this relationship, he didn't tell her that he was actually married before with this girl, Jane Thompson, who, again, he swindled off the money, then she died under mysterious circumstances, but not before she passed all of the inheritance to him, all of her will. And then he told other people that it was under different circumstances. So, of course, this is completely not built by lies. This relationship was immediately going to be great from the start. No, of course not. It was tumultuous, to say the least. And even after a couple of weeks, Marta actually decided to move to New York. So she moved with her kids and everything. And then soon after, the two of them had an argument. And you'll know what the argument was about, but basically she had to return to Florida. And now she was like, okay, cool, I'm gonna return to my old job, right? Nope. Apparently, due to this scandal, due to her just going to have this promiscuous, non-marital relationship with a Latin lover, of course, the hospital was like, nope, you can't go back to this job. So, she was desperate. She even attempted to commit suicide this time. And because she was still communicating with Ray, Ray was like, listen, the problem is not you. Like, I definitely want to have, like, super great relationship with you. The problem are truly those kids. Like, I, I just never wanted kids, you know, I don't want anything to do with these kids. The kids have to go. And she was like, say no more. I'll sort it out. You you just think of a flat. You get a flat for us. I'll just drop the kids at the Salvation Army. So, um, she does. She just drops her five and six-year-olds then 
to the Salvation Army, it's like, <laughs> bye kids, bye, gonna go with my Latin lover, Raymond, I'm yours. Now that Martha has moved in, now that he has her fully dependent, fully there, he knows he has brainwashed this woman, she is dependent on him, she would do anything, she just got rid of her kids, she can't turn back on that. Now is when he just basically opens like this little box and he's like, so, these are all the women that I have scammed, these are all the letters that I have sent, I have done this previously, so uh, you have a chance to help out here. You know, there is a great opportunity, this is a great position that it just opened up. And Martha was there, well, like, stuck now, right? Can't go back, don't have a job. Anyways, just got rid of my kids for this guy, so yeah, she was like, of course, anything for you, lovebird. Ray was, you know, set her down, obviously, told her all of this, and he was like, so listen, my plan is, you pose as my sister. Imagine the blow, just the blow, you're just there, like, pathetic already, so into this guy, like, I want to get married to you, he's like, no, what we do is, we'll never get married, don't worry about it, you just pose with my sister, and then we're gonna go and scam these women, that I, yes, might marry, and might sleep with, and sleep around, and she was like, okay, listen, that's cool, I'll, I'll fall for it, like, I'll pose as your sister, but you can never consummate the relationship, he was like, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. So for her to ensure that he actually never consummated the relationships, that he never, like, you know, had sex with these women, she would sometimes sleep in their bed. How, how would you explain, please, just walk me through the process. Why was this never explained in court? Do you know how much I'm dying inside to read further information on this? How do you explain to your wife? It's like, oh no, my sister just sometimes, you know, is too attached. She just sometimes sleeps in the bed with us. That's completely normal. Totally no issues there. So, of course, these women quickly would realize that this is not the best relationship, but unfortunately for some, it would be too late to get out of it. In 1949, they made a crucial mistake. Basically, it was speculated that these two have killed even 17 women. It will be three murders that they will be charged with. The first one of those was the one of Janet Faye. Fernandez got engaged to Janet Faye. And obviously, I know this is wild, but unluckily for Janet, she wanted to consummate this relationship that she had. Mm, they were just engaged. It was all going great. She was about to get married. Yeah, unfortunately for her, Marta was uh, not having it. So she walked in on them one day having sex and she lost it completely, so red smashed whatever the hell she saw first into Janet's head, and Janet just died on the spot. So both of them were now like, well, <laughs> this is a doo-doo, this is some shit that we have now, now have to deal with, Martha, you fucking impulsive shit. So they put her body in a trunk, and they bury her like under a closed space, and then cement it at this rental place that they were staying in. And in the meantime, they were just cashing out her checks, you know, using her money, while contacting her family. And they had typed up the letters to the family, being like, hey, everything okay, you know, I'm married and everything is great. But um, unfortunately for them, they realized that Janet never owned a typewriter. She never learned how to type, never owned one, so immediately her family saw the red flags and saw through this. Now they realize that they have to skedaddle out of there before the justice catches up with them. So they moved to Michigan, and they managed to charm this woman to let them stay in their flat. So her name was Delphine Downing, and she had a two-year-old daughter. 
So they were staying with her. Raven was trying to, you know, do his like charming self. Like it's like, oh yeah, she's just my sister. While Martha, you can see her seeding in the background, dying inside. And on one night, Raymond actually overdosed um, Delphine on sleeping pills, and they realized she is dead. They didn't apparently want to kill a child at first, but unfortunately, because they're freaking monsters, they couldn't deal with a child crying for days. Martha tried to beat slash strangle the child, but because she realized that's not super effective, then she submerged them under the water. Just on so many levels, a two-year-old child, a grown-ass woman who worked as a nurse and had two own children of hers. Luckily for them, this one is going to be their downfall, because Delphine was a friendly, charming woman and people noticed when she was gone. So they sent the police to arrest Ray and Martha. But this article hated them more than I did. So it said, after the murders, they decided to go to the movies where they munched on popcorn and drank a gallon of soda. His rotund girlfriend. So I don't know if this is like a literal translation because I have only heard rotundo or rotunda in Spanish, never in English, but sure. His rotund girlfriend, Martha Beck, 29, who weighed well over 200 pounds, lovingly brushed his pinning hair back on his head as he told police how they killed their last victims. I just love how much this person, whoever wrote this article, hated the living shit out <laughs> Not just that, but now moving on to the trial. The media, of course, took the wheel and the papers were unforgivable. Obviously, this is a child's murderer. It did not help that she was not super attractive. So the papers called her fat, simpering, big Martha, a 200 pounds bigger rat, the giggling divorcee, wow, unattractive, the best way, a weird woman. I love how somebody was like, I'm gonna try to be politically correct for the time. It's 1914, Lisa, I'm gonna be political. She's just weird. She's just a, a tad weird. She just doesn't look like a normal person. <laughs> so, of course, even with this, the jury went into that trial thinking they were guilty because of the media's portrayal. So, they stood no chance. And everybody was kind of speculating rather if they're gonna get death sentence and how long they're gonna wait for their deaths rather than like, oh, somebody's gonna know them guilty like they were like yeah this is gonna be a no-brainer like yeah we can make a verdict now like the trial save some money and due to this pressure and because of how gruesome these murders were and how much they tried to hide them which obviously showed premeditation post meditation whatever you're gonna call it like just in cruelty and planning they made a deal so like the prosecution made a deal with the new york office for them to be transferred to be on trial in New York, and that was for one simple reason, and that was that Michigan had no electric chair. Now, when they were on trial in New York, you, it's very visible, probably, as a juror or anybody in that courtroom, that Ray lacked, you know, he, he really hit that frontal lobe. He just lacked anything that induced any logic. Because he admitted, immediately on the stand, he was like, no, we actually killed 17 women. Because he claimed, like, listen, like, this is my strategy. If I claim as many deaths, you know, and they're in different states, there is more chances for us to be extradited, go back to Michigan, you know, just stay alive. I'm actually protecting Martha. And now you're like, oh, Martha, finally. I mean, she has done all of these bad deeds, but at least she, she got what she wanted. She wanted her prince charming. Think twice. Because, yes, he might have shouted, like, oh, I love Martha for the media. You know, what do you guys know about love? 
But then, as somebody who is really into statement analysis, his expressions of love for Marta don't really seem quite genuine to me. He said, um, I love her, it couldn't be anything else, which you don't add that if you just know you love somebody. Like, because that means you are doubting, could it be something else? Because why would you even say that? You wouldn't add that extra bit, or you would say it isn't anything else. Like, it's not anything else. Not it couldn't be, because that kind of implies like you're thinking, could it? Could it not? Like, is it anything else? You kind of sound like you're doubting yourself a little bit. But then Marta took the stand, and I mean, I mean, okay, first of all, she's talked about her childhood, maybe to like elicit some sort of empathy. But I'm not sure whether or not this is still a belief, like whether or not Marta lied from her early age, just considering how she continued to live. I wouldn't say so personally, because I think like she was deeply affected by her childhood, but there must have been like a juror or two that just thought like, no, she actually might be lying to us about like this sexual assault and stuff, because why would her mom not believe her? Always believe your kids if they report any form of sexual assault, please. But here is Martha qu Martha's quote again, playing on this, like, oh, we are the lonely hearts duo, like, we love each other deeply, you can't, like, condemn us to death. We loved each other and I consider it absolutely sacred. You refer to the lovemaking as abnormal, but for the love I had for Fernandez, nothing is abnormal. And then this article continues, this is gonna be sexist and piss some people off, but it's just so insane that I have to read it out. Marta fidgeted in the stand, her large frame looking out of place in a wooden chair designed for smaller people. Designed for smaller people. Like, why is a chair designed for small people? This chair is designed for, for a big-ass person. It's only designed for a dwarf. Why do you design chairs for smaller people? I just hate that they would dig so much at her weight where her personality was shaped. And that her whole life was based around her weight and not the, the focus on the... It's, it's her actual personality that's, that's a problem. It's not the fact, like, I don't think Marta was ugly, I don't think that she was fat, I just think she had, like, super ugly personality. Like, that was her main problem, and a lack of focus on that, you know, like, contributed to all of this. I just noticed that this thing is completely just turned the wrong way. It's not even looking at the skeleton, it's not looking at you, it looked at me, and I, we made eye contact. I care about your soul, skeleton. I have lost it. I have lost the plot. I'm talking to, like, fucking condiments on the table. Condiments. I'm talking to the freaking props. She also said, a request from Mr. Fernandez for me is a command. I loved him enough to do anything he asked me to. But I feel the jury really saw that there was just no empathy, no nothing of how she described the killing, especially the killing of Janet Faye. She kind of just matter-of-fact said, like, well, actually, my skills as a nurse made me, like, find really important to tie the tourniquet, like, around her neck to stop the blood from bleeding. So that's, you know, that's what we did. She just, like, matter-of-fact, just another day in, in the life. Like, this is what I do as a nurse. And you're like, you killed a child. You killed... How could you have killed a kid? Drowning a child. You have two kids of your own. Plus, you worked in a hospital for children. Like, you were good at this job. 
what the hell happened? So after 11 days of trial and 12 hours of deliberation, the 12 members of the jury came into the court and they charged them with a guilty verdict for the first degree murder. Actually, one of the jurors was kind of not convinced, so that's why even it took 12 hours of deliberation, because they thought that Marta was sane, but that Fernandez was the one who was instigating all of this. So they kind of believed it was more Fernandez than Marta, but obviously during this deliberation, they managed to convince this juror as well. So they were immediately processed and moved, obviously, to separate cells. Both of them were kind of in a solitary from the get-go, because they knew, like, they were going to go to death row pretty soon. They weren't a couple that's gonna wait forever and ever. So Marta approved Alfred Beck on the visitors list, and she approved both of her children. Her children were four and five at the time. I think I said they were four and five, like, once she dropped them in the Salvation Army. Now that, you know, I mixed it all up. That was two years before that, so they were, like, two and three of age. Even worse. Doesn't, nothing makes it any better in this case. What is going on, Sunshine? Sunshine! Now, you remember how I told you to hold the fault on Fernandez and his love for Marta? Well, that is because of what he did while on the death row. But listen, this is private information, okay? Don't tell Marta. The ghosts of this world, don't tell this to Marta, cool? Ray here continued writing to his first wife, whose name is Encarnacion, which, yes, is incarnation, just embodiment. Cool name, cool name. So he continued writing to her and he would write, let me read this out because I mean I think it's his translation because it does not sound right in English, so I think this is genuine translation for Spanish. Kisses and hugs to the children, and you will receive a million kisses and hugs from the one who always will have you until the last second of my life. So yeah, he most definitely loved Marta until his last breath. I, I want to feel sorry. I want to feel sorry, but I feel sorry for the victims who had to die because of somebody's obsession and fixation on something that she just couldn't attain. It's just, I just hope one day, because my imagination is hard and I have like sometimes, you know, like all these illusions about like better anything. And yeah, I just hope I don't ever go there. I never turn up that desperate to just completely lose the sense of logic and do it for nothing. For nothing. For a guy to steal from a death row, not right just to you, but no, he's still, still a crook. Once a crook, always a crook man. And Encarnacion responded, and I, we don't know if she knew of his involvement with Marta, with any other women, but she said, um, again, this is a translation, do you prefer me to fly to you and thank you for not writing, just as if you were a little child? All my love to you from your wife, Encarna. <laughs> I want to see them in Spanish. I just want to see, they just mistranslate, just for, you know, like, nobody's gonna look this up. Encarnacion, listen, if you, if you have children, Encarnacion Chandler, write to me, please. Write to me. Send me the letters in Spanish. I just, I just need it in my life. So, March the 8th, 1951, Marta has a good breakfast. That's not what we are eating today. She ate ham and eggs, and she then took a shower. I don't know why. Do they have to take showers before death row? I, think, I personally would like, again, hopefully not doing anything that will end me on a death row anywhere, anytime soon. Yeah, personally, thinking about it, I would probably like to die clean, or just, you know, thinking of going to sleep in a way. I think about these things a bit differently. And even on her last day, Martha was her ugly personality-wise self. 
So she wanted to spend her day with this matron that she preferred in prison. But no, then they schedule somebody else to be on duty because, again, we are not listening to prisoners and their wishes, are we now, Martha? Deal with it, fucking loser. So she wrote an angry letter. Like, her last actions are that she wrote an angry letter to, like, the prison guards. She wrote, I do not appreciate it one bit, but I'm glad that no member of my family will know how hurt and misled my last day was. It hurts me deeply to realize that I have been wrong in thinking that there could be good in the state paid employee. Martha Jewel, and then she gave her, like, prison number. <laughs> like, is that, is that, like, when people sign their emails with, like, PhD, or like Dr. This, is that what, what I'm supposed to feel after reading this? Because I sure am not. And now we come to the last meal. So we're gonna go KFC to get the last meal. It wasn't KFC, but I'm cooking for this shit. So um, <laughs> she just doesn't deserve any effort that goes into this. She just doesn't. So you're gonna accompany me to KFC right now. Do you want anything from KFC? Did you decide? I am back. I'm gonna become like a freaking KFC addict. Look at this. Look at how cute this is. I never eat at this place. So what is this? this? Is some popcorn. Okay, yeah, I'm gonna eat this first and then pack up Martha Beck's last meal. So I have like some fillets because she didn't want wings. I'm gonna pretend mm -hmm, to be a cook for a second. And do some fries. Let's do it. Completely different person, totally different person. Hey, you newbie. Yeah, we have the last meal for the prisoner number 108594. Martha Beck. Bring it to her, please. Yeah. <laughs> You're coming in as Martha. Completely transformed. Wow, thank you so much. I came as a completely different person, clearly. Now I'm Martha Beck, and this is her last meal. So she ordered fried chicken. Some fries and some lettuce and tomato salad, just because, like, no drinks or nothing with this bitch. But she made sure to be particular about this, so for the chicken not to have any wings, for it just to be fried chicken. Wait, it's tiny, tiny bit more difficult. I spent about 15 minutes in KFC trying to nail this order, because I don't go there regularly, so I was literally, luckily, this woman actually helped me out. I was like, listen, I need chicken, it's not wings, I need fries. And I need a salad, is there like a meal? And then she was trying to figure it out. Hey, this is great. You gave me like the cute little thing. Is this what gets you eating into KFC? Okay, cool. Sideline. <laughs> Such a cute little popcorn thing. Okay, cool. Uh, let's continue with this. There's a bit more information to this case. For his last meal, the second part of this duo, Fernandez had onion omelette, also french fries, chocolate and a Cuban cigar. So yeah, this is why I can't. The fire smoke detectors for the UK facilities are just, they're very easily, easily triggered, just like Marta, so I couldn't do Fernandez's meal and just smoke a Cuban cigar, although that would be badass for the video. Hmm. Oh my god. And I just love, also they probably hate this, but there were two other prisoners that were actually executed on that night, and they were executed before them. They're like, yeah, let's just show you that you're not really a big deal. So Fernandez went first, before Marta, and he was still dramatic and shouting, I want the world to know that I love Marta. What does the public know about love? But it was said that he was really panic-stricken. He was actually carried all the way to the electric chair. That's how, like, panicky and just frail he was. Marta, however, was not frail at all. I mean, after all, she had just said, had this delicious meal. She was full of strength. So she went, just followed by her matrons, and sat down in the chair. And then whoever wrote this article yet again 
had to mention that they struggled to fit her huge arm into this electric chair. Any chance, any chance they got. And she was pronounced dead at 11.24 p.m. And this guy that executed both of them, well, four of them actually, because this was the first quadruple murder since 1947. And this execution got $150 per person, so it was like, this was nice, all at the same time, sick. Just love how people view death, death penalty, they're like, business as usual, came, picked up $600, four people are dead, sick. Her last statement was, what does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story, but only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I'm not unfeeling, stupid or moronic. In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? But a lot of them actually, Martha, you genius. Nobody ever said she was smart. Like, what kind of novels was she reading? Just into romance novels, like, there have been plenty of crimes committed due to love or whatever you wanted to call it, but... Unfortunately for her, she never knew it was one-sided. She never knew that if somebody portrays and pretends that you're his sister, maybe he's not just that into you. I know, wild. Wild. Her body was transported back to her hometown, where she just lies in the unmarked grave, and she was, well, survived by her children. Probably changed her names and everything since then. By Alfred Beck, her first husband, and by her mom as well. But that's the case of Martha Beck and somewhat on Ray Fernandez as well. There is a lot in this story. I just tried to, you know, sort of summarize it and condense it. And what can we tell about the person that ordered the last meal? I just wonder, you know, was that even her thought, like, to order the salad again to just camouflage? Or was it just her consciousness being like, well, you know, they think you're fat already anyways. Because just her weight was her main preoccupation her whole life. So she probably, even when ordering this last meal, was like, mm, let me have salad on the side. Let me actually, like, make sure, you know, that I have this on the side. Martha, special case. Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think about this case. Do you think without one, the other one wouldn't be committing crimes? Well, we both know Ray would be anyways. Do you think something else triggered it in particular? And most importantly, what do you want me to eat now? Wasn't that so freaking fascinating? It's just the, one of the wildest cases. I, I was struggling so hard. I was laughing so hard at the quotes, at researching. And it was just, in the end, I was like, this is the perfect plug for the Nobody Wins merch because truly nobody wins. Her whole life, Martha wanted just somebody to, to love her. They just wanted her fantasy fulfilled. And then she ended up just falling for one, the first person that came fucking along. That's the first mistake. And in the end, he ended up still in love in Encarnacion, which is still, to this day, the best fucking name. You will not convince me that it is not the best fucking name in any language ever. Just be like, why do British people not have names like Embodiment? A huge, huge gap in the market there. So yes, you can watch that and other Last Meals videos on my Quit Her Office Job YouTube channel. Ah, plug, plug, yeah. Speaking of plugs, great segue for me to direct you again at my own merchandise at Nobody Wins Shop. That's, yeah, the name of the line. <laughs> so smartly named. Based on two new designs and two others that have nothing to do with Nobody Wins, but they're just in the same 
the same category. The public is still running the sales. They just control their own thing. I think they're doing it now for Black Friday, so you can get it for super cheap there. And then if you want like the high quality stuff like this, that would be Teespring. And they're like super comfy. Go for the comfy fit. Hence, you know, smartly, smartly named in that case. But to wrap it all around, remember how we started the episode? And then like, remember, now you're going into your next Zoom call and you're like, whoa, where did this episode start? And it started with me talking about how inventive people have gotten with anything, with their content. They're just like, this is what works for me, what doesn't, and... Maybe I'm still just in the process of discovery what works, what does not. But I just beg you, I don't know, this week I just kind of wanted to go back. The advice that I would give, usually it's kind of like the end of the year. And I'm like, okay, this last year, this time, you just personally, me, yeah, came back from a silent meditation retreat because you were just desperate. You were like fucking depressed at work, you wanted to leave, and then you kind of after that retreat decided like, yeah... I'm gonna like, you know, start working remotely, see if my soul is being lost a bit less after working from home. And sure as hell, yes, I stopped selling my soul to the devil and suddenly I started becoming myself again. (laughs) So I just wanted to ask people, like, when you go into your next Zoom call, whether you like your job or hate your job, whether you're ambivalent to your job, Just think about what you're doing on the side. First of all, that your job is not your life because that is just sad and depressing, whatever your job is. Even if this was my whole freaking life, I would still not like to do it 24-7 because then I would just have no inspiration, nothing. There would be nothing left to say. Also, then it wouldn't allow me to find a different perspective on TikTok, for example. Before you go into your next Zoom call this week, I just wanted to remind people, find your creative outlet. Whatever it is, you you have it. Even if you're just like, no, actually, I am just a spreadsheet person. I'm just a numbers person. I don't have like any creative outlet. You do. <laughs> You do. You don't have to post content anywhere, ever. But you still do have your creative outlet. Whether it's journaling, whether it is writing, whether it is counting freaking calories, whether it is actually finding a new way to how to thinking about formulas and how do you actually present it and translate it to people who don't understand numbers. You filter into that little hole and then you expand it and find a language to communicate that passion of yours with with other people. Then, you know, read between the lines, improve on it, see what they actually want to see. Do they actually fully understand it? Can you further improve on it? Can you have like any other ideas? I'm still talking about the company, but I'm also talking about people actually making content on YouTube or podcasters or just in general. Expand the motherfucking horizons. If TikTok is going to be part of your research, let it be. If it makes you open your freaking mind and actually understand the topic better. That's it. Fuck it. I mean, most importantly, don't be a Marta Beck or Raymond Fernandez this week. Mm -mm. And don't wear to pays for fuck's sake. If you are a balding individual, listen, my brother is younger than me. He's getting bald and he just shaved his head off. Because that's a normal fucking thing to do. You will get used to it. It might actually look decent on you. You might actually be growing bit, like it, it might actually look decent. Don't put toupees on, for the love of God. Or just get enough money, get Elon Musk rich, and then do those hair transplant things that makes it look like it's your own hair. 
Yes, this is now off the rails, so uh, I'm going to escort myself out. I'm going to wish you all a happy Monday. I'll see you all back here Friday. Be here, be here. It's an insane case. I actually can't wait to tell it to people. So uh, until then, uh, keep making this Monday, this whole week, this whole world a better place. One motive at a time. Oh, bye, fuckers. Oh, yeah, the outro tune, the intro tune, <laughs> the all of the tunes. <laughs> Okay, if anybody, if anybody creates a dance to this, post it on Instagram. I'll, I'll do it. I'll retweet it. Let's create a dance. Let's create a dance to it.